Y and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. Liz, I will ask you and also tell our listeners that uh, the first thing you should do today, if you're looking for Phillies content, other than obviously listening to this podcast, is seek out the footage of the Phillies reacting to Larry Boa's hole-in-one at a golf tournament. It is, um, it's just phenomenal. I get the impression, based on what Brandon Marsh is saying in his, um, uh, like, jungle hat and teeny little sunglasses, that um, Boa, like, hit into them at some point. Because they found out he hit a hole-in-one. I think Marsh was, like, one of the only witnesses. And he's like, you can hit into us any day. He just keeps saying it over and over again. Oh, my God. And, and uh, I think Tom McCarthy's there going, like, oh, he's going to be impossible. Insufferable. <laughs> Insufferable. Uh, they're all just, yeah, it is a very joyful and very fun scene. And, you know, for a team that keeps it pretty airtight as far as what gets out of their locker room, it's just cool to see them in their natural element and just uh, reintroduce yourself to the Phillies for 2024 in a very, you know, it's a very positive light, but it's also just, it's very fun. I definitely recommend watching it. (laughs) I've got it on. Oh, my God. (laughs) I have it on in the background right now. That's insane. Does does a lot for you on a nice spring Friday. As we prepare for the first spring training game of the Phillies Grapefruit League schedule tomorrow on Saturday. Yay! Can't believe we're here. It's great. Yes, I can't believe we're here either. Sorry, I just want to reflect for a moment. Every year that we have Larry Boa with us is a good year. It is. He says. I just. That's, I'm so happy. He said that's his first and probably last hole in one he's ever hit. <laughs> you know what? It's it's awesome. Like I just. He's a baseball lifer, and you would th- you would have thought like 10, 15 years ago that he may not have been able to modernize himself. But the fact that he has is just an enormous testament to him and his willingness to stay in baseball and to be a positive force and make a difference. So I think that's really awesome. Just seeing like the dude celebrate with him, I'm just like, this is like an 85-year-old man. He is not that old, but he is an old man. I mean, like... Like Mike Schmidt said on a broadcast last year, Marsh likes everything, but he is like the focal point of this video. He's the chief celebrator of the hole in one. And I, it just struck me that like Marsh hasn't even really been here that long yet. He seems no. to have a, a, a like lifetime repertoire with Larry Boa, who is like a Phillies lifer and has always been here. So it just goes to show that as new guys come in, like you're saying, Boa has just become this mainstay and it's just a delight to have him around and guys seem to gel with him pretty instantly. So wasn't always the case. He was no. bonking heads with Jimmy Rollins, but then they wound up having a wonderful relationship. And obviously Scott Rowland, like, you know, it wasn't always the case, but he is, uh, he's, he's definitely a fantastic guy to have around. And, and you're absolutely right about that. So. Yeah. All right. We can move forward now. I just, I, I'm just watching Larry Boa just sort of smile and talk about this. I'm like, good for you. Yeah. I don't know if a lot, after some of the things that he'd been through, I don't know if a lot of people would have pegged him as being here today. And I, I just, I credit the Phillies for continuing to give him a chance the ult- and to continue having, you know, saying you have a home here no matter what you do. The ultimate Phillies lifer, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Well, 
As spring training continues, the uniform debate rages on. <laughs> the chief topic coming out of spring training is, of course, testicles, the clothes, and what they reveal about the players. Uh, when someone told me that uh, the pants of the uniforms are see-through, I thought, well, that's probably an exaggeration. And then you look at the pictures and, no, it is not. It is not an exaggeration nope. to say that the uniform pants are transparent. And if those jerseys aren't tucked in, you're going to see a lot that more than you bargained for, certainly. And even Trey Turner, someone who is not particularly outspoken, uh, was asked of the new MLB uniforms designed by Nike, made by Fanatics, uh, and said, everyone hates them. Echoing the thoughts of uh, just about every player Everyone. that uh, we've, we've heard from, except the ones, you know, reading at gunpoint from a card of pre pre-written copy uh, by corporate overlords. So to put an exclamation point on that, apparently a bird crapped on Aaron Nola yesterday and the power <laughs> went out at the Phillies trading complex, according to Matt Gelb of The Athletic. Liz, when I hear stories like that coming out of spring training, I don't know. This this soothes me. Why does this soothe me? It, I, th I feel like it has to be because... Yeah, look, things are some things are wrong. Th you know, things are imperfect, but at the same way, that means they're getting the imperfections out of their. And if this is the level of imperfection we we have to worry about for spring training, I I can get on board with that. That's okay with me. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I I'm certainly. I mean, I'm. It's terrible, all of this. Though I I am in, enjoying. <laughs> I'm enjoying sort of seeing the like the the all of the stuff that's befalling that at least just yesterday befell the Phillies I joked on Twitter that they're either headed for the greatest season ever or they're prepping you know they're doing uh, drills for the seven plagues so it's I feel a, like those are the only two options it's good luck when a bird poops on you isn't it it is like that's, yeah. that's supposedly what it is and I I certainly am not going to say that that's just something people tell themselves um <laughs> Aranola has been baptized in the church of nature that is <laughs> That's only good for the Phillies. <laughs> now, come on. And speaking of NOLA, the Athletic asked a bunch of people in baseball to rank things from the offseason, like best free agent signing, which uh, of the topics they covered is the only one in which the Phillies were mentioned. Aaron NOLA got six votes. The Phillies re-signing Aaron NOLA got six votes as the best free agent signing of the offseason. To put that in context, Shohei Otani was, of course, the top vote-getter for the Dodgers with 25 votes. Uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto for the Dodgers was uh, got 17. Sonny Gray to the Cardinals got seven. Josh Hader to the Astros got six with Aaron Nola. Um, again, low-key winter, but also when, when people complain about the Phillies, they just have complaints like, well, Alec Bohm sucks. And it's like, well, not really. And, well, they didn't sign any big free agents. Well, they did, though. Like, <laughs> and they're just mm -hmm. not going to get credit for that. I don't know. Going into spring training, I think the Phillies are kind of where they were last year. They're just a little under the radar. They're not the big time number one favorite, despite going to two straight national league championship series. Uh, they're supposed to make the playoffs again. They're projected to do pretty well. Uh, they have a habit of out outperforming their projections in the last two years as well. Um, but you know, baseball perspectives had them at what, like 80, 80 something wins, like 80, 84 wins. But um, I believe Fangraphs has them at like 90. So, you know, they're, they're a little harder to figure out. I don't know. I feel like it feels like a very similar place to last year, except this year you're seeing a lot more like unfinished business type stuff, which I guess is to be expected for a team that's gotten close but not won the whole thing twice. Yeah, I would say that that's about right. You know, I, I'm I'm digging I'm digging 
the vibe, right? Yeah, I mean, were you looking for anything in particular? Because Todd Zalecki talked to Kyle Schwarber. Uh, He talked about driving. He drove all the way from Ohio to get down to Florida. 15-hour trip, he said. Said he loves to drive. Um, But uh, he rolled into town. He still lives. He lives in Ohio in the offseason. This is what was in the Zalecki story. (laughs) Oh, my God. Kyle. I mean, I know he's he's from Ohio. He's from sort of roughly the area that I lived in for a while. Um him and native son Joe Burrow. Um, it was, um, I, that's, <laughs> he's a millionaire. I mean, listen, his money goes a lot farther in Ohio, I would say, than most other places. Said he loves to drive. I don't know. And he loves, listen, I get that. <laughs> I actually love it too. I, I, I've got like a 400 song playlist, put that on. I'm like, I will be going for, I'll be going for 12 hours, stopping like maybe twice just to pee and to eat food as I drive. I'd get about tw- two hours and then be like, I don't want to do this anymore and drive two hours home. Just decide that that's <laughs> worth it. No, I wouldn't. But I do. I do not. <laughs> that have would the be terrible. Driving that you and Kyle Schwarber have. <laughs> um, but it's it, not a passion. To- it's like we know we have to do it to get somewhere. It's just, you know, we don't fight against the we don't fight against the tide. Sure, but when options like buses, trains, planes exist, I would I would opt for those things uh, over over me being the one at the wheel falling asleep, whereas on a Fair bus enough. I can fall asleep in a sunbeam and no one has to die, which is nice. <laughs> Justin, like a cat, does not yes. want to drive. Very much, very much so. Uh, Schwarber got into camp and uh, he, he was just kind of like the latest Philly to get a you know write up because in spring training they kind of seem to cycle through the players looking for stories and catching up with guys uh, we haven't seen in a while. And uh, in Schwarber's write-up, it was just kind of the latest version of uh, a player saying, you know, hey, you know, we, we got close. We just weren't able to get it done. Were you looking for anything distinct from the Phillies vibe? Would you have been, would you have felt better if, if they had came in with something other than just what you, what you expect? Or, or is this kind of like, do you, do you trust they're in the right headspace to do what they need to do this year? I think, you know, they've all been there for five seconds. Um, whatever the vibe they choose to have, I'm sure will emerge right now it's just very much yeah we're going about our business we know what we have to do um i'm still unpacking my suitcases (laughs) um i don't know where i'm going to get food because wherever i got food from last year closed down so like that's that's the vibe i'm getting right now it's you know like once we get further into it i'm sure we could evaluate like right now i'm perfectly happy like they're saying the right things they're there to they're there to win but they're loose and having fun which is exactly what you want like if nothing changed from this i would be fine like you would want to see a little bit more intensity when the games count and i'm sure there will be but you know like this is right now it's good because no one's pressing no one's worried everyone's loose everyone's just concerned about their pants <laughs> Right. That's all. That is the number one concern in camp this year. That's correct. Um, Which will, to be honest, probably affect some of the play of some of them. Yeah, I think that's that's fair to suggest. Uh, here's a quick statistical bit that I saw this morning. This isn't going to be surprising, but just to see it in number form was startling. Uh, Zalecki wrote about how the Phillies want Schwarber to take a more aggressive approach to the plate this year uh, because in a two-strike count, he hit 104 with a 503 OPS last year. Now, you know, he struck out a lot. He's a very much, despite the, the three outcome, uh, we're, we're kind of moving past that in baseball. He is still very much a, a kind of definitive three outcome player, walk, strikeout, or home run. 
And uh, it, it, with two strikes, you're not surprised to learn he was uh, he was a 104 hitter with his uh, slugging specialty being sapped in that in that particular case. But without two strikes, he hit 352 with a 1324 OPS. <laughs> oh my god! So being more aggressive would then theoretically prevent him from being in as many two strike counts. It would make for quicker at bats, but. Kyle Schwarber doesn't need much of an at bat to do what Kyle Schwarber does. So uh, I would, I'm very interested to see if he makes that adjustment and what effect it has. <laughs> Same. Like, I, I mean, those numbers didn't surprise me and yet somehow they did. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> like with two strikes like that, do we know how, how I'm going to guess that's pretty low in MLB. I wonder if there I'm sure there are player rankings for that somewhere. I mean, his his numbers are always so extreme that, yes, I would put them. It, it has to be at the lower. It has to be like I wouldn't imagine. Hitters. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But like 104 is like even a little bit better like that, like even hitting 200 210, 220 on like that. <laughs> that's still that would be just a few more hits. That would still be a big difference. It would still be helpful. I mean, I, I like the approach that, like, Kyle, we want you to get better hitting with two strikes. No, they're just like, Kyle, we want you to prevent a scenario where you have two strikes. Like, yeah. if you go into a room and have a bad time, you just stop going in that room. Like, <laughs> let's, let's just remove that from the equation. Uh, and I like that approach a lot better. Yeah, so. I think that's a really interesting way to a- approach it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But going back to uh, the vibe thing, you know, I, I was reading I was reading this story. Obviously, there have been a lot of stories like that where guys like Nick, Nick Castellanos are like, oh, we're on a mission and like we got to do this. And you're like, yeah, no, that's that's good. to It's good to hear. But also to- totally expected. You know, that's we, we hope you, you get all the way there this time as well. Um, but I found myself kind of going back to how I approach this now. And obviously my, my approach to like the Phillies and making the playoffs and being good has evolved over time and the amount of pressure I put on them or, or on you know, myself and my mental uh, health just watching this team has obviously evolved from being in my 20s to being in my 30s. And I, I was thinking about like my approach to this and, and why it's a little easier, I guess, when you just have a team like the Phillies are now, who is a team that's that's in the mix. You know, they are they are a team that is ranked high. They are not ranked the best, but they are, you know, they are involved. And obviously both playoff losses the past two years were painful, but in time you move past it because you have to. And I realize the reason I feel like I'm able to come to grips with getting close twice but not getting it is because of this one article I read years ago. It was a it was a John Boyce piece for SB Nation called Watching Baseball with People Who Hate Baseball. And it's still on the internet. Has not been uh, wiped clean by SB Nation, as they've done with other things. This one still exists. I suggest you go find it. It's very funny. Uh, and there's a panel I always go back to, and it's about uh, the aspect of being a baseball fan with people who don't like baseball, where you are sharing the wildest st- statistics you know with people who don't necessarily ca- care about them. And at this point, the Cubs hadn't won the World Series yet, so uh, the, the, he has someone going, the Cubs haven't won a World Series in 103 years. Talk about a curse. And the other person says, well, there's been, what, 20 or 30 teams in the league, right? So effectively, they just, quote unquote, missed their turn four or five times, right? I guess. A little unusual, but not the sort of probabilistic deviation to write home about, especially considering the enormous amount of variables in play. Yeah, I guess. And like, you know, the point is valid, but I also realize that's that 
response kind of defined my approach to the playoffs fr- from the moment I read it onward, where it was like, yeah, you get, you get, everybody gets turns, and some of the turns are very limited, and some of the turns are very rare. A healthy team is uh, consistently getting more turns, and that's what I think we're seeing the Phillies get closer and closer to being. So as long as you're still getting a turn, I'm not going to rip, be ripping my hair out about something the team did or, or, or didn't do. And I realize yeah, like that, that is that's kind of that's it. That's how I've come to see the postseason. Not that anything short of a World Series title is quote unquote enough, but I'm just saying statistically, you get in the mix and you shoot your shot. You got a chance for as long as you give yourself a chance. And right now, the Phillies are giving themselves a really good chance. The cliche is now that the regular season is a marathon and the playoffs are a sprint. But I just I don't agree with that. I think the regular season is like a line to get on a ride at an amusement park. And then that ride is a broken carousel playing warped music and spinning at very unsafe speeds. And as people are allowed on, eventually the ride reaches capacity and most of the teams waiting in line don't get to board. The ones that do hang on for dear life as they are one by one flung off the carousel until only one remains. And the Phillies have cut ahead to close to the front of the line for two years, and they should do so again in 2024. I know we've all got concerns about what they've done and not done to address certain needs, but that's still true. And this year, the Phillies have given themselves a really good chance to be the last team hanging onto the carousel before it explodes. <laughs> I, uh... I feel like, in essence, it's, it's worth saying the same thing, but... <laughs> <laughs> but better. I feel like I perfected But better. It. Yeah. Yes, I feel like yours is much more descriptive. It certainly is like a... Uh, you know what? I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> We're going to move on. <laughs> I don't know what I can say to compare to it. Though I do have images of my hometown fair <laughs> from when I was uh, growing up in Maine, the Bangor State Fair and the rides uh, flashing through my mind well, right now. I didn't mean to... I didn't, yeah, I didn't mean to give you any flashbacks. <laughs> I apologize. I always loved it. I'm just like, you know, how often do we hear about one of these things collapsing and killing everybody inside? I'll take the I'll take the spin. <laughs> At least in that case, I was you're really getting, I was <laughs> you're getting off the ride in that in that case, you know, it's much safer. <laughs> Listen, growing up in Maine, I was uh, I was like, you know what? Let's get some excitement in here. I was ready to do whatever. <laughs> well, in any case, I think um, we're saying we're OK with where the Phillies are at to start spring training. Yeah. Um, one thing we did learn as far as the Phillies making big moves this offseason is that they really tried to make a bigger move than I think a lot of people thought. And that was when they uh, they were still a part of the Yamamoto sweepstakes, the starting pitcher who wound up in Los Angeles with the Dodgers, of course. Uh, but what we found out from Scott Lauber of the Inquirer this week, as he had a conversation with Phillies principal owner John Middleton, was that they offered more than anybody. For Yamamoto. Uh, quoting the article here, after meeting for three hours December 14th with Yamamoto and his agents and making a presentation that featured a video appearance by Bryce Harper, which still just cracks me up. The yeah, Phillies, yeah. Like, I hope he was like juggling or something. I know he was just talking to the camera, but like in my head, they had him like do a, a talent thing where like he's just doing more and more ridiculous talents to impress this guy to come to the Phillies. Um, but uh, the video included Bryce Harper. The Phillies offered more money than any team, according to multiple industry sources. That includes the Dodgers, who won the Yamamoto auction with a 12-year, $325 million bid that stands as the largest guarantee for any pitcher ever. First of all, it's crazy to me that the Phillies, they offered more money. I guess it had to have been a similar amount of years. That's a huge amount of years for a pitcher. That is yeah. That is a ton. 
And uh, it's just crazy. I, that, I, I, they, hey, were, the Phillies... they were ready to do it. I love it. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, do you fall in the camp of this is good news because it shows the Phillies are willing to be serious players in Japanese markets again, or for the first time? Or is it bad news because the Phillies knew he would choose the Dodgers anyway and just they just wanted to impress people on Twitter with what they'd been willing to do? I've seen people say both, Liz. Which do you think it is? Um, I don't think the I really don't think Dombrowski or the the Phillies brass give one tiny little crap about what people on you Twitter don't think say. so you don't, you don't about about moves that they're making no <laughs> I really don't uh, about some things I think John Middleton might pay attention I don't think Dave Dombrowski cares um, I think it's uh, I think it's absolutely like they probably knew that Yamamoto had a he already was leaning towards the Dodgers. That was kind of they obvious. Had to know. Had they to. had every everyone knew because Shohei Otani was there, and the two of them had wanted to play together since they were on since they played in the World Baseball Classic together. So like this was a goal of theirs. I think Otani like posted yesterday on Instagram like something like just an image that sort of symbolized how excited he was to play for Yamamoto once to play with Yamamoto once he got there. Like it's, it's nuts. Like he really wanted to play with him. So I think they felt the only thing they could do to give themselves a chance or like a real shot was to offer more money. And, you know, maybe they thought it would work. Maybe they thought it wouldn't, but either way it was, it was worth a flyer. If they really wanted him, the worst thing he could say was yes or no. <laughs> really, blame, like either way. You can blame a team for a lot of things uh, when it comes to, like free agency, signing a player, missing out on a player. Um, you can blame the Phillies for, for a lot of things. But uh, I don't blame the Phillies for Philadelphia being in being where Philadelphia is, which mm-hmm. is just not going to at this point drive a lot of players from these markets to, to, to come here. They don't they don't. Um, lean towards the East Coast a whole lot. They, they no. just they just don't. And the Dodgers are the Dodgers. That's going to be your chief competition there. So I, I really I don't blame them for this one. And I just was cracking up at the idea that they would make a gamble of over three hundred and twenty five million dollars just to impress people on Twitter. I, I kept seeing that accusation from people. Just seems like a hefty gamble. People with fewer brain cells than you would assume. <laughs> like I don't think teams do that. I don't think the Phillies gained any no. fans because they made the biggest offer to a guy who didn't come here. So I don't really think it was a disingenuous move. No, if they gained fans, it was among agents and other Japanese players because that market, as we have seen, has been heating up over the past few years. You know, there are players in Japan who are trying to get posting worked into their contract because there are some teams that simply will not do it until forced. And so, like, they, there's a great desire for Japanese players to come here. And the ones that have come over, I think that's just the start. And the Phillies are doing what they can to make it known that they want to be a player, they want Japanese players to come in they're willing to pay them a premium to do so and that's a wise thing to do because the Dodgers will run out of room they already they have. cannot like they already have like you can't 
like one of my favorite people um on Twitter is the Dodgers uh Dodgers fan and he's he's just been trolling a few Yankees fans lately his friends with you know just you know saying I, he's going to look good in in pinstripes after the trade deadline and in my head I'm like what are you no like it, it's funny but it's also completely nonsensical because in what world will the Dodgers need anything at the trade deadline yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess depending on who's injured, but that's the point of their roster right now. It would they take, have so it many that they don't. Yeah, they have so many players that if someone gets injured, they have enough good players that they shouldn't lose even a step. Like there's no world in which, you know, a- anyone trades a big. The Dodgers are really interested in anybody unless things have gone horribly, horribly wrong, in which case I'll be laughing. So. <laughs> well, speaking of pitching, Griff McGarry, that name re-entered uh, the news cycle thanks to a Matt Gelb piece. Uh, last year, the Phillies had three top pitching prospects. Andrew Painter, lauded industry-wide by evaluators as possibly the best prospect in baseball. Mick Abel, a capable arm still developing but on his way. And Griff McGarry, something of a less expected newcomer to the conversation, But with all three in the mix, they were eagerly inserted into future projections or possible trades, especially McGarry, who I think people had less attachment to, given his seeming newness to the more mainstream fans. Flash forward a bit, painters on the shelf for Tommy John. Abel regressed before seemingly getting his stuff together closer to the end of the minor league season last year. And McGarry fell off completely. Now, we know this was reflected in the top prospect lists that came out earlier this winter from places like Baseball Prospectus, Fangraphs, other outlets. Uh, he dropped off in some cases by a significant margin down the rankings of even just Phillies prospects. But Matt Gelb wrote up a story on McGarry's changed delivery this spring, and in doing so, characterized the collapse McGarry underwent last season. And it was just more severe than I think I was aware. Like, I didn't really... Yeah. I don't think I ever looked into the... Um, the detailed accounts of, of like how exactly this went down in the end, McGarry's gone from getting power through his arm extension. This is the adjustment the Phillies wanted, wanted him to make uh, power through his arm extension to a more tightened up delivery that draws power from his lower half. Uh, he's sacrificing a few miles per hour of his velocity to get a greater sense of command, which was his problem. And to exemplify that Gelb opens with this story about McGarry facing seven batters in a game last year, walking six and hitting the seventh. That's brutal. That is Close. that is a that is a yeah that's a drop off I think you can call it. So Gelb talked to Brian Kaplan, the Phillies director of pitching development, for the story, and the kind of changes McGarry is making are not simple and will take time. But they point to Christopher Sanchez as a success story and a breakout candidate even this season. I've seen him like when people talk about how could the Phillies exceed expectations this year. One of the factors people list is Christopher Sanchez remains or improves from the status he's already achieved. Like he is a sneaky little X factor for this team and pitching development department points to him as a success story, breakout candidate. Um, And it's a sign that these, this again, this Phillies pitching lab is capable of employing change like this or helping guys make adjustments they need to make, which is very important to this team's success. So Liz, does the emergence of Christopher Sanchez from being this kind of fringe spot starter to a solid rotation guy give you confidence in the Phillies' ability to assist young pitchers like McGarry who need what feels like a complete overhaul to regain their success. I think so. I've been encouraged. They, uh, I liked how they've ramped up things since Dombrowski came aboard because they weren't full bore right away. 
you know, uh, Dombrowski took some time, then he sort of replaced a number of positions, reorganized things, and then everyone got started. And they sort of didn't, they didn't take on a lot of projects right away. They sort of tested. And when things worked, they ramped up and did more. And that, that has made me very confident, especially seeing some of the successes that they've had. You know, and their belief in making changes, but not without, you know, not, they want the players buy-in. They're not going to try and make someone do something that doesn't go with what they do. And that's something, that's a big criticism I've had of the Rays and um, the Astros, uh, not just me, but others, that, you know, they have a way, you know, capital A, capital W of doing things. And that is the only way to do things for them. And so people have to, you know, players have to fit into their mold in development. And so they sort of shove them, ironically, almost like the MLB uniform pants that do not fit anybody. <laughs> they put players into four bins of of sizes, like four different body types, and will not do any customizations beyond that. It's great that the Phillies are having one of their young pitchers focus more on getting power from his lower half in the season where we're going to see more of players' lower halves than ever before. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> completely. But, you know, like the stuff that they suggested to him makes a lot of sense. It's not like it's anything we haven't heard. You know, lower half strengthening, like something that Aaron Nola credited uh, in the past with helping him gain more control, helping him elevate his uh repertoire that's something that was really big to him and why back injuries really weakened him so much see that's interesting in my head uh, i am not a director of pitching development i am not a a pitching or biomechanics expert by any stretch nope. but it does it, it reads to me a, a layman as the difference between lifting with your arm with lifting with your back and lifting with your legs you know what i mean like yep. if you're a pitcher and your power is coming from your arm extension it seems like you're taking four or five years off the back end by putting that much pressure on mm -hmm. your arm early on. So I, I feel like that's that is a good move for them. To, you know, I'll I'll sign off on what these experts yes. <laughs> in this topic are doing. But McGarry had worked himself into a conversation about being a future starter, like I said. But given these hiccups, uh, Baseball America projects his best case scenario at this point. Uh, as less of a starter and more of what they call, quote, a fire-breathing monster in the late innings, though even, <laughs> though even that outcome will, requ will require him to throw strikes with more frequency and quality. Now, while McGarry probably isn't contributing like that to the big club in 2024, do you think having potential like that in-house in regards to McGarry and even other various arms they have around – do you think that contributed to the Phillies not going out and grabbing a one-to-one -one replacement for Craig Kimbrell this winter? I think so. Um, having that potential around certainly is helpful. It seems like he's going to need more time. But I feel like if if he's why they didn't make a multi-year commitment, they didn't really make a multi-year commitment to a reliever this year, did they? No, I mean, it's been a lot of Colby Allards. Uh, yeah, you know, David if it was, it might have just deals, been... That kind of stuff. Yeah, might have just been like a couple years at the most. Otherwise, I think we, I would remember it. Um, so, like, they... You know, that's certainly a, a wise thing. It is a bit of a gamble, considering the, the warning that's slapped right on top of that. It's going to require a lot of work from him to get it done. 
Um, so it's certainly something to keep our eyes on. Um, I definitely want to see. I want to see this come through. I really like that they have set a high mark for him. You know, a fire-breathing monster in the later innings. That implies that whatever strength he has in his arm and, you know, will work with what's ever happening in his core and they'll be able to leverage them together to create, like, the type of hard thrower that they love to work with. Yeah. You know, and if he has that potential, like, that's excellent. And the best thing they could do is continue to have players down there. Like, Johan Rojas being around can only be a good thing. Because he his desire to work his brains out it can only have a good impact on other players. Yeah, they were giving Johan some. Uh, there was a video of him working on his bunts, which is obviously something that he's been working on all winter, as well as just you know general hitting. Um, but the band, it would be really something if Johan Rojas was able to develop a bunting skill of sorts, because it's a very undervalued and underplayed portion of the game at this point, and he is a quintessential player for having a skill like that. So that would be great to see from like your nine hole hitter, uh, a development like that. Um, But like to go back to the pitching aspect, you're right that I wrote this winter about how um, there were a couple of guys in a row that the Phillies were linked to who were a departure from the typical hard throwers. They were seeking out for their bullpen the past couple of years. Um, Didn't really wind up with the Phil Matons of the world that uh, were the subject of the article. So it is interesting to think, yeah, that philosophy, you know, they're, they're obviously never going to turn down a guy because he throws too hard. And just to see that shift from, you know, let's see what we can develop in that vein in-house rather than go shopping for it in, in every case is kind of interesting to see. And, you know, end of the day, while McGarry is apparently taking some velo hits as he tries to regain his command, um, that's not to say that, like, he can't get back up there to those uh, higher 90s yeah. that he was hitting before. And should he do that? I mean, if you're if you're the fire-breathing closer, then your job is really to throw a couple of pitches at absurd velocity a couple of times, not, like, <laughs> over the course of five innings. You're really – hopefully you're only throwing, like, ten pitches in an ideal scenario. Yeah. So that's, that's like, that's where the, the ceiling is. So it'll be interesting to see his development – That'll be because um, unlike Painter, who's just kind of like healing up, you're going to see McGarry like pitching a lot more and um, have, I, I think you're going to have some more tangible results from his end. So I'll be curious to follow his his narrative as the as the season gets started and goes on. Uh, but in sure. doing so, let's just take a lap around the NL East real quick. There's a couple of couple of bits of information from other parties from the Phillies division. Uh, as far as the Mets go, Kodai Senga had a moderate capsule strain in the back of his right shoulder per oh, ESPN. He is going to start the season on the injured list. Liz, is this the start of this year's Metsing 2024? <laughs> That's certainly what I wrote. I actually caught this story at work like yesterday, so I uh, gave it a write-up. Uh, it's certainly not great news. It's not what you want to hear. Um uh, they uh, David Stearns announced yesterday uh, that or uh, on a Thursday that he will not be available to start the season. It seems not great. He had arm fatigue, so they're just shutting him down. He's not even do. They're shutting him down until his arm is no longer tired or whatever he's feeling. So they've got uh, a big old hole in their rotation, and they're David Stearns is quick to say, "No, this does not increase uh, our likelihood of going after a pitcher on the." the free agent market <laughs> like not go- even a guy like Zach Greinke who they could get for nothing like I guess not 
Uh, let me just shut that whole thing down before anybody yeah. asks. No, no. Things, don't worry. Things are not going to get interesting around here. No, uh, they've got no. He also said none of their uh, young pitching prospects will be making the trip up, presumably because that would start their service clock. Oh they want to see them pitch in the minors more. Uh, <laughs> so it's just like a, a quartet of uninspiring also rands, like to to fill the spot. It's the trajectory of the Mets has been kind of <laughs> curious going into 2024. I mean, hilarious. By the, by the end of last year, we're all well aware the the change in direction they underwent uh, by, at the trade deadline last season uh where they told Max Scherzer, "Yeah, look, we're we're not looking to contend in 24 and maybe not again until 26." You know, it's not a hard rebuild, but they're just they're retooling for a couple of years. And yet going into 2024, I see more uh, and more analysts saying like, "Oh, they're sneaky good, you know, around the same record as the Phillies, about like low to mid 80 number of wins." Maybe a wild card spot. Like it's, there, it seems like the 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 team telling someone we're not looking to contend kind of got disregarded because people still look at this roster and think, "Yeah, I mean, why not?" Because again, it's not a full rebuild. They didn't trade Pete Alonso. They've still got Francisco Lindor. You know, they've they they have Brandon Nimmo locked up. And and while yeah, they didn't sign two frontline starters to go into the season like last year. Uh, they are and they are putting more pressure on a guy like Jose Quintana, who's not filling out a rotation as much as he is leading one now, which I don't think is great. Uh, but at the same time, it just seems like the perception of the Mets is like, no, yeah, they could still make some noise. And I just I don't I, I once again don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, no, not even like it, it's sort of stunning when I was writing about like no one is talking about them, but it's still still sort of assumed that they're going to like be alongside the Phillies. You know, like projections show that. And I'm just like, what in what world? Like, that's why I do not pay attention to projections at all. Yeah. That, that Like everyone yeah. gets like completely bent out of shape about him. And I'm just like, I don't pay attention because none of this is real. You look at projections on baseball reference. They have their own projections for 2024. And I'm like, there's no way that's true. There's no way any of that's true. <laughs> it's just a it's just a it's fun to dream. <laughs> sure everyone loves things to be sure they love forecasts because they either want something to love or to hate so sure i mean whatever i'm sorry that's not what we were talking about i'm just annoyed by it <laughs> it's okay it's the, it's again people trying to exercise control over something that is uncontrollable uncontrollable like, like baseball or the future so yeah yes it's been, been interesting <laughs> to see Marlins don't have a lot going on, but they did sign Tim Anderson. I forget who it was. I forget who it was, uh, so I apologize. But I saw somebody say, like, it might might have been Fransky L.A., our friend Mike Robertson, say, um, this feels like a guy who is going to get 40 extra base hits off the Phillies this year. Yep, completely, 100%. (laughs) He... I, I, it's because I... It's because he's great and fun and, like, honestly, like, a perfect fit for the Marlins like him and Jazz Chisholm like it's exactly what I want to see uh on on the field <laughs> you know that kind of swag is what is sorely missing uh and they're gonna make plague the Marlins the same type of terror it's always been for the, I really for hate the Phillies it exclusively <laughs> yeah for the <laughs> Phillies exclusively no one else will have trouble against them the Phillies always do and I'm I uh I cannot <laughs> I, I'm eager to see what that rivalry this year will bring yeah, Tim Anderson has been, I know you and I have both talked him up the past couple of years. He's been an exciting young shortstop for the White Sox. The White Sox are a cursed organization, so to see oh, him yeah. get out of there is a good thing. He's also had his own series of issues over the years, too, that have kind of limited his uh, rising star from 
being as meteoric as it, it, it seemed to potentially be at one point. But he's still he's still a fun player. Uh, he's still going to be annoying to play, I feel like. And Chisholm, Chisholm showed up for um, uh, Picture Day, all decked out. He looks awesome. Uh, and I just hope he can stay on the field this year and be the kind of player I Please. think he was projected to be last year. Not against the Phillies, but just in general. Uh, moving on to the Nationals. Liz, the learners won't be selling the Washington Nationals anytime soon. I'm shocked. Uh, like like uh, Art Moreno out in um, out in Los Angeles, they're, they investigated a potential sale of the Washington Nas- Nationals franchise. They decided, nah, no, we don't want to do that. The Washington Post had a write-up on what that means for the franchise, which is rebuilding with a young core. Uh, but the writer was wondering how willing they are to spend big in phase two, which involves expensive free agents to fill in where the prospects let off. By expensive, I mean what the market dictates the free agents are worth. So, yeah. Hmm. Uh, but seems unlikely, since the learners apparently got an offer for over $2 billion for their franchise and decided that wasn't enough, so they didn't sell. Even though the Orioles, who were just uh, purchased by a, a group, they are a better team on an upward trajectory, and they sold for $1.725 billion. So, mm-hmm. or as the Washington Post puts it, this could be good news for both the Nationals and their fans. We just don't know that it is yet, which feels like... Uh, okay. Um. <laughs> I don't know if you can frame it that way, really. like, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We don't know that it is yet. We don't know that it's bad either, so why lean towards the good? That's 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 Nationals coverage for you. But yeah, went on to read in brief remarks. Monday, Lerner told The Washington Post's Andrew Golden, we're very happy owning the team and bringing us back a ring one day. Very few follow ups were permitted. Many are necessary. Liz, what in your estimation do the next few years look like for the Washington Nationals? <laughs> um, I, They look a lot. Like I think the last few years, um, and certainly a lot like their first few years as a as a <laughs> franchise, uh, low interest, no exciting free agents, uh, just sadness all around at, at one of the least inspiring parks in Major League Baseball. I've been there, and it is, it's just it's like you know, corporate, it's like corporate depression Disney. <laughs> they, they really have gotten off the hook, I feel, because of what's gone on with uh, with Oakland and yep. what a tire fire the White Sox are and how worthless the Rockies ownership group has been. The Nationals are kind of just quietly nesting on the East Coast as this uh, like they are the they are the next team in that group. They might be even lower than the Rockies, honestly. And they uh, yeah, they just don't they, they're going to hold up that ring. That was like five years ago at this point, which, you know, is not too far off fair enough but everyone can see what's happening like now and their lack of desire to spend and and make the team you know the team that it's got to be to be a competitive franchise is yeah if i were a nationals fan i would not be super excited but i know fans can get excited about anything you know mets fans were excited after they let last year's trade deadline switcheroo go down so you know i'm sure there's people who are like excited and like i said the coverage the Nationals get is usually pretty cutesy and positive anyway. So mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think they have a writer in town whose job is to be like, what is this? What's going on here? This is not good. Come on. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But it, all evidence seems to be that the Washington Nationals are perfectly willing to just crater for the next couple of years. 
Unlike the Atlanta Braves, our last stop on this lap around the NL East, Ken Rosenthal wrote about how the Braves do business, the Braves and Dodgers, really, uh, and how it doesn't really align with how Scott Boris, super agent, does business at the moment. Um, I think this chiefly involves how Boris steps over the GM or president of baseball ops in a lot of cases and deals directly with owners. Uh, this is relevant because there are four Scott Boris clients still on the market as spring training opens. Ken Rosenthal keeps trying to make the phrase the Boris four happen. Stop trying to make the Boris four happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, and Rosenthal writes, rather than award hefty long-term contracts to free agents, Alex Anthopoulos, the Braves chief roster decision maker, prefers extensions for players acquired in trades like Matt Olson or Sean Murphy, signed as international amateurs like Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies, and chosen in the draft like Austin Riley, Spencer Strider, and Michael Harris II. The highest salary in any of those extensions is $22 million. Liz, how do you view this approach to the big open market deals that the Phillies have made? Because really, they've gone about it in two different ways. And then when it comes to the playoffs, one of them has come out on top. But, like, the Braves tend to avoid uh, going big big sea fishing on the open market and free agency and operating the way Rosenthal describes, whereas the Phillies seemed perfectly willing to be like, well, Schwarber's out there, and Castellanos is too. Let's just grab both of them. Uh, let's give Harper uh, a contract and then listen to him when he wants to make it even longer. Let's give uh, Trey Turner over a decade. You know, they, they, don't, they don't seem completely unafraid to offer the kind of deals the Braves don't want to offer. So how do you view the Braves approach compared to the Phillies right now? Um, I mean, they, they get to do that because they drafted very well. They signed very well and they drafted well, you know, that's, that's what you get to do is make a lot of under market deals and spend no money. It's, I hate it. Uh, but <laughs> you know, they, that's what they do. And the Phillies have had to go a different way. It's hard to compare them because the Phillies just do not have the option to do what the Braves do. You know, they have, they have established players, big name players who demand to be paid like the adult grown up, you know, MVP winning players that they are. And, you know, the Braves have managed to uh, do well in the international market and in the draft and sign players when they're young and get them to agree to extremely under market, under market deals to stay with the Braves, which gives them a lot of money to do precisely nothing. Yeah. They, I mean, they just don't do anything. Yeah. The, the Braves have really succeeded. I mean, you got credit where credit's due because this wasn't just about locking guys up. It was about evaluating and drafting and developing them in the first place. And the Braves have just hit on a bunch of numbers in, in that regard. And when they have, they have had no shame about keeping those guys around for as long as it made sense to them. Uh, and that is, I think how a lot of fans would love their team to be run. So you got to at least acknowledge that. On the other hand, by the time Dave Dombrowski got here, who I think is going to get almost all of the credit for the Phillies' recent success, um, by the time he got here, the Phillies were at the tail end of a dysfunctional development system. They had tried, they'd gone all in on some people uh, in the upper levels in the front office as the manager and, and it had a couple of misses in that regard as well. And that, of course, ripple effect turned into the guys who they brought in through the draft and everything weren't necessarily uh, the best guys weren't necessarily agreed upon by everyone in house as the guys they wanted. There were different philosophies flying around by the time Dombrowski got here. The fix was 
if we want high level talent in here, we got to just pay for it. Like, like you said, they, they didn't really have the choice at that point. If the goal was, we're going to contend now, then Dave Dabrowski took that first year to kind of just look around. And then the next year it was like, all right, who's available? Let's sign them. Let's get them in here. Dave Dombrowski tends to deal in established players who you don't have to guess a lot about. He's willing to give up prospects who are gambles in in all respect. Like every every prospect, even the top ones, are to an extent a gamble. People were upset when the Phillies traded Sixto Sanchez for JT Realmuto. Even I had had certainly some twinges of of, um, of regret about it just just because of what they were giving up, not about what they were getting back. And then you fast forward to today, and Sixto Sanchez has not managed to stay on a ball field. So that deal is just, that looks better and better. So I think you're right, that the Phillies, at the, in the situation they were in by the time Dombrowski got here, they had to operate the way they've operated. like that. They're, and now they're trying to establish the infrastructure that allows them to operate in something closer to, or at least have the option to operate the way the Braves have as far as players go. Uh, but also remain willing to spend when it makes sense. Yeah, like ideally is what they want. Yeah, like ideally what they want is to find a balance between the Braves and the Dodgers. Um, Be able to spend when they need to and, you know, depend on some homegrown players to to give them a good base um, for, you know, to build a team on. And they've bought themselves... They've bought themselves time with the core that they have. They have given themselves like a, a good six, seven years at least to, you know, rebuild their minor league system, which they've, you know, their development system, which they've done and are continuing to do to uh, fill up their farm system with quality players um, and to um, to put in place the communication you know, that that type of infrastructure that needs to exist to make sure everyone remains on the same page. And that is unless you hit on that, like magically to begin with, like I believe the Dodgers probably have, um, you know, that's something that you do need to you need to build when things go wrong. You know, you need to rebuild that. So there really is no other way forward for the Phillies than to do what they've they've done. You know, they and hopefully they'll be able to find a a good balance because that's the ability to go having wealth on both sides gives them tremendous flexibility. You know, having a lot of prospects, having a lot of money, having big name players on the field gives them a lot of flexibility as far as what to do if things aren't working, how to fix problems that come up. You know, what if a player doesn't work out? Oh, no, the whole thing doesn't crumble because everything was resting upon, you know, Don Brown and J.P. Crawford. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, So, yeah, interesting to see the two philosophies kind of compared. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Braves are going to be formidable for a reason. And part of it is just because of how they put their how they put their team together. So. That was uh, a little NL East update. Um, and just uh, for our last segment here, um, in thinking about the NL East in the present, I also wanted to talk about the NL East in the more distant future, as ESPN's Jeff Passan put out a feature on MLB expansion recently. And uh, there's a lot of factors that go into this. There's a lot of history that goes into it. There's some good and some bad about it. Uh, but really, for now, all I wanted to focus on was the uh, potential realignment that he put out there 
which results in a four-division situation, two divisions in each league. So that simplifies that aspect a little bit. But that, of course, means that the divisions would be much larger in this future scenario. Um, I'll just run through the, the ones that they put together and land on the NL East, which we'll, we can talk about. The NL West in this scenario would be the Diamondbacks, Cubs, Rockies, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Mariners, and Cardinals. So you have the Mariners switching to becoming a National League team. Uh, then you have the American League West, uh, which would be the White Sox, Astros, Royals, Athletics, Angels, Twins, the Rangers, and an expansion team in Salt Lake City. The American League East would be the Orioles, Red Sox, Guardians, Tigers, Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays, and an expansion team in Nashville. And then the NL East would be the Braves, Reds, Mets, Marlins, Brewers, Pirates, Nationals, and Phillies. The difference for the Phillies directly in this scenario is that now in division are the Reds, Brewers, and Pirates. As far as realignment goes, that is not a harsh punishment, I would say. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, what are your general uh, thoughts here on expansion? Like, is this, it, it's been a long time. It's been when the, when the Diamondbacks and, and Rays came along, it was what, the late 90s, I want to say 90, 98? They came along in. So it has been a significant amount of time since the last time MLB expanded. My first thought when I hear about expansion is, look, there's, there doesn't seem to be enough major league pitchers, starting pitchers, to fill out 35-man rotations <laughs> across baseball. <laughs> Stretching that even thinner seems crazy to me i don't know maybe maybe we're about due for another wave of high-end talent and like the pool will just expand magically as well but i don't know my first thought is like there's just not enough i don't think there's enough major league ball players to fill out 30 rosters let well, alone 32 i mean it's you think about it and it's about talent level and if you look at it in that way you look at the free agents that are still out there the guys that settle for below market contracts because there are not enough teams willing to pay not enough you know theoretically not enough spots open that would give them a chance to be paid so in a way it like expansion is a good thing for the players because that is that's a a lot more uh, a lot more players in their union. That's a lot more people in their union that makes them stronger. Um, but it also uh, it's a little interesting because Rob Manfred recently screwed himself over by contracting the minor leagues, um, which just makes it in makes this uh, problem much bigger. Yeah, and I read that there's the potential for them to get even smaller. Which is so dumb. Yeah. I don't get it. Stop killing minor league baseball. It's I, great. It, people want it. It. I. Oh, God. I get, like, it's from a few years ago now. Like, it makes no sense to relitigate it, but it's just, it's still heartbreaking to think of all, all of the baseball that was lost for just Zippo. No reason. Just because COVID happened. I mean, they took advantage of COVID. They found they they found an opening to do what they wanted to do, and they did it. Yeah. How do you feel Boo. as far as expansion goes? 
as the two cities being Salt Lake and Nashville. Is there anywhere else you, you would be excited to see a ball team go? Anywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have this childlike enthusiasm. I can't deny about it where like when I was a kid, I was at a, a ball game. My dad bought me um, a bag of like the little plastic mini helmets and the Rays and Diamondbacks were on the verge of being teams, but they weren't teams yet. And I was just like, what are who are these unrecognizable logos? Like, what are these teams? And he's like, oh, those are the those are the two new, new teams. It was the first time I remember like hearing about there being new teams. And I was like, there can be new teams, like a whole new set of logos, a whole new set of players, a whole new set of baseball cards. I got so excited. And that was, of course, the last time there was expansion in baseball. So I still kind of maintain that enthusiasm thinking about like, oh, what would the team be called? Oh, yeah. What would their culture be like? It'll be like a gift for all these fans. And I mean, obviously, Montreal always comes up as a potential. They are getting a Netflix documentary instead of their team back. So I mean, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, take what you can get. It's not happening. Sorry. Yeah, they're they're not sending a team back there. They're just not. Mm-hmm. I, and they don't believe it can support it. And honestly, I kind of agree with them. You know, they had a chance, and I don't know why they would send a team back there when they did it once yeah. and it didn't work. Like, when it fails and a team leaves, you don't get another chance for funsies. Like, it's not even yeah. like the team picky government moving for whatever reason. It just, baseball just simply was not viable there between the facilities and the amount of fans. And I don't think that's changed. Uh, yeah. But as far as Salt Lake and Nashville, like Nashville is the bachelorette capital of the world. Um, I do feel like that area could probably use a team. I think that they've there's like a gap between where, you know, the Cubs, White Sox and all that. And uh, I think the Reds is uh, the other team there. there. There's a gap around there that could be filled that, you know, used to be filled with some minor league baseball. Um, Salt Lake City makes a lot of sense, if only because it's a like Utah is a massively growing area. It's where it's where a lot of people who are living in Los Angeles have moved. Uh, they've moved to Utah in general just because it is cheaper than living in California uh, uh, for at least a little while. It will be uh, because it, it's just one of those destination states right now. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, but it's going to be the most boring team to ever walk the earth. It like is the, it's it'll be it will be the like the literal Disney of teams. It's Salt Lake City. It it the team if it goes out there, it's certainly going to be owned by Mormons. I mean, it, it's interesting to think about being a baseball fan in like out west, not on the west coast, but out west. Because yeah, right now you go from like the Rockies to I guess you would go to Vegas, but that obviously isn't an established franchise yet. So like you got the Rockies and you got. The Diamondbacks, who, by the way, their owner was getting the ball rolling on threatening to leave their state as well. So good luck. <laughs> good luck. This is I've decided that Rob, what man, Rob Manford wants to be is he wants to be known as the the stadium commissioner. Uh, he he's going to be known as the pitch clock commissioner. That's what he's going to be known as. He's going to be known as the guy who changed baseball into a relatively timed sport. Um, but he wants to be known as the stadium commissioner. And so this is what's happening. Like, first off, expansion teams, people are like talking about like the White Sox, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, has been threatening. It's like he wants like two billion in subsidies or he's threatening to leave. I'm like, go, go. 
No one who wants you. Expansion teams will have to be new. They have to be new teams. You cannot pick up and move any team to these places. And so when a team is like, we want to move, I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going anywhere. There, if you can't pick up and move to any of the major destination cities because MLB wants to put a team there, and that's the only thing those cities want. You think Vegas is thrilled to get Oakland secondhand? You know, Oakland secondhand baseball they, they team. They certainly don't seem to be. <laughs> no, they don't want it. I'm still not convinced it's completely going to happen. I'm really wow. not. I sure I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. When they break yeah. ground, I'll be there. It'll be interesting to see how this uh, this develops over the next few years. Um, I, you know, this seems to be Rob Manfred's swan song, as he recently announced that his last five-year extension of his contract will be his last, and he will step down as commissioner in 2029. So we will see what happens on this regard, as we will see what happens with the Phillies as spring training gets underway on Saturday. And the great 2024 Phillies adventure begins and we all treasure the fact that our minds are intact, unshattered from last year's disappointment as we prepare to once again, you know, dash them on the on the sidewalk. Uh, but until then, we are only at the beginning. So follow along the Phillies season with us here at Hidden Season. Uh, head to billypen.com slash Hidden Season for new episodes of Hidden Season every week. You get three new episodes every week. And if you if that's not enough, you can head on over to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Hidden Season for $5 a month, you get access to a Phillies happy hour called Absolutely Hammered, uh, a Phillies history podcast where we talk about the dumbest, funniest, and most obscure innings in Phillies history on The Dirty Inning, uh, as well as whatever other content strikes our fancy over there. Uh, so you have a lot of options, and, you know, doesn't hurt mentioning that both Hit and Season and The Dirty Inning were finalists as in the Best Baseball Podcast category at the Sports Podcast Awards this year. So you're not the only ones who think we're great, if you think we're great so thank you for that uh but yeah stay with us all season long as we get underway with the phillies from whyy and billy penn i'm justin clue i'm liz brochure and this has been hidden season